Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.17 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 16th of November, 2021. This is episode 504 of Bitcoin. And we got to talk to you about podcasting 2.0. I really do, man. We got to do it. In fact, it's not just me that needs to be doing this. It's like all the podcasters out there. We really, honestly, we should be shilling the living shit out of podcasting 2.0. So what the hell is it? Well, podcasting 2.0 allows you, the listener, my listener, to be able to stream me Satoshis live and uncensored all the way to my lightning node, which thankfully is back online after a four-day hiatus. I'll get to that here in a second. I, I forgot to talk about that shit yesterday because it's really kind of interesting situation. Anyway, you can go to podcastindex.org forward slash apps and find a whole list of podcast apps that are fairly new. They're probably, you know, some of them are a little jinky because they're just, everybody's starting to build it, right? It doesn't come out of the box perfect, all right? Nothing ever did. Please stop crying about that. But anyway, get one of these apps. Like there's, uh, what do we got on here? We got the Breeze app. We got Sphinx.chat. We got the Fountain app, which I'm really actually kind of starting to like uh, quite a bit. There's Podcast Addict. There's Podfriend. There's Podverse. And from what I understand, because Podcast Index is a construction or podcastindex.org is a construction of Adam Curry. Adam Curry and his team um, and John Dvorak, I think, is behind the whole the whole thing of podcasting 2.0. And what it does is it takes your RSS feed. If you're a podcaster and you're hosting, you know, you've got your stuff hosted somewhere or even if you're self-hosting. You've got an RSS feed, which is essentially a URL that basically allows podcast apps and play, you know, players on your desktop to be able to access the episodes in your RSS feed. Now, Podcasting 2.0 takes that RSS feed. You literally you scrape it, you you copy it, and and you put it over into this thing of Adam Curry's that I don't have up yet, and it will produce for you a new kind of RSS feed that has something called the value block installed inside of the RSS feed. Then through some other machinations, uh, you can, you know, put, I can put that RSS feed into, and what I put it into is Sphinx Relay on my Lightning node. And now, because all these, because the podcast index has a bunch of podcasts in it, and a lot of those have structured their RSS feeds with the value block, 
if you're listening to Sphinx or if you're got like, like you're on Sphinx or you're on breeze or you're on fountain and you go find a podcast and Hey, I want to listen to this podcast. If that podcaster has the value block in their RSS feed that is being read by fountain or breeze or Sphinx chat, then you will have the option to use the wallet inside those apps to stream Satoshi's directly to your favorite podcaster. And this is the way we get away from advertising. This is the way we get away from accidentally having like, you know, a sponsor that was good to begin with, but then you got to make that phone call saying, dude, I read the news. You screwed this up. I don't want you as a, as a, a sponsor anymore. There's a lot of maintenance that goes on with sponsors, which is why I don't fucking have any, right? It's just, it, you know, I should have sponsors, but I don't have sponsors because I'm just not reaching out because I, I really want to construct this under, under podcasting 2.0 where it's a listener supported show. And the best way in the world that I have found to be able to do that uh, all across all the other stuff that I got going on, right, is podcasting 2.0. So please do yourself a favor and learn about podcasting 2.0. Best place that I have found to start is to go to podcastindex.org. That's podcastindex.org and start reading about it because he's got, he's got everything that you need in this thing to be able to learn what's going on, links to different places to learn even more about what's going on with podcasting 2.0. So please do yourself a favor and engage in the future of a podcasting. All right, now let's get into the light, my lightning node fiasco. I had not updated my, my, my node because I use my node as my little, uh, as the software for my raspberry, raspberry Pi four and i hadn't updated anything in a long time well taproot was coming up and i'm like ah, i really need to, to get this in line and so you know i've been waffling back and forth because i had been using specter wallet on it uh and you know it's one of those things where it's like i just you know i was like going oh, I, you know i want to really make sure that that I'm not having to use Spectre Wallet right now because Spectre Wallet on, you know, on my node will will have to update. And I'm like, I want to make sure that I've got everything, you know, in cold storage, nothing in, in a hot wallet. And I had a little bit in a hot wallet. So I got all that shit off and I'm like, okay, I feel like it's, it's okay to, it's okay to update. Oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Before that, my lightning node crashed. It, hardcore. And then I was like, shit, I haven't updated any of this and Taproot's coming up and now I got to update. And that's when I went, got Spectre's, you know, hot wallet, transferred it all to cold storage and all that kind of shit. And then, cause for four days, I'm trying to figure out what the hell was going on with my lightning note. I like, I, I, I issued a, a problem or a, a trouble ticket in GitHub for LND and roast beef actually got back to me and he's like going, dude, this is a bad crash. <clears throat> you know, it's like, uh, hopefully you've got all your shit together to be able to recover it. And I'm like, oh man. And anyway, a couple other people said the same thing. Uh, the guys over at my node actually told me that they had like, I gave them the crash log and they're like, we've never seen anything like this before. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, I, great. I get to be the one that, 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 you know, has this, this brand new fucking problem that nobody's ever seen before. So I go through all that and I finally say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to update if I lose the Satoshis that's on my lightning node forever. So be it. I was reckless. I, 
you know, if, if you know the meme, when, when lightning first came out and we started playing with it, we were all reckless for putting shit on anyway. So I was fairly reckless and, you know, and it just went on and on and on. And finally I got to the stage here where the lightning node itself crashed. I was prepared to lose it all just so that I could update my node to make sure that I was ready for taproot. So I updated the node. It updated very, very quickly because I was way behind on my updates. Guys, I was behind by like a year. Don't let this happen to you, okay? Don't wait a year to update your freaking full node, okay? That's just, that's just bad juju right there. Anyway, it updated and guess what happened? My lightning node and all of the channels came back. Nobody had closed a channel on me. I didn't lose anything. And best of all, I didn't have to reconfigure a damn thing for podcasting 2.0 to still be able to flow Satoshis into my wallet because I was getting Satoshis into my wallet over the last couple of days. And I'm like, wow, that's some robust shit from a crash that nobody at my node had ever seen a crash that roast beef from LND himself was saying, holy shit all the way to it coming back up and lighting up all my payment channels just the way they were. And I am, I am ridiculously thankful. Now the two problems that I'm having with this update on my node is that Spectre no longer works and Thunderhub no longer works. If anybody's got some advice for me on that, please let me know. Now, time for the news. How learning about Bitcoin leads to self-reflection. This is Bitcoin Magazine's Casey Carrillo. While on the journey to understanding Bitcoin, which never really ends, one might find themselves confronting beliefs they've held for a long time. Ideas, whether they be related to the economy, history, politics, or self-sovereignty, are all reflected in Bitcoin in a particular to Bitcoin way. What Bitcoin offers is a non-traditional base unit, both in the network and asset, upon which we can expand ideas which were normally unchallenged, at least in the mainstream. These could be ideas like the future relaying, relying much more upon fossil fuels than the mainstream media may represent, or the idea that incentive alignment will help improve our political system. I explored this idea challenging attribute of Bitcoin with our very own Lewis Shulman, another new addition to the BTC Inc. team. Be sure to watch the podcast and check out our written interview below. So how were you first introduced to Bitcoin? Well, I first heard about Bitcoin in the fall of my freshman year of college. I was studying computer science at the University of Alabama, Bama. I didn't go to any special STEM high school. So being in engineering school was my experience being completely surrounded by computer nerds. That fall just so happened to be 2017 which was the biggest bull run in the history prior to COVID-19. For a few weeks, all conversations in hallways and classrooms were consumed by chats about cryptocurrency with Bitcoin being the main character. Hesitant and pretty ill-informed, I made a small purchase on Coinbase for around $16,000 at eight, well, for the price point. <clears throat> Within a few weeks, that plummeted by about 50%, and I promptly forgot about crypto for the next few years. In March 2020, when COVID-fueled money printing reached alarming rates, my interest in Bitcoin was renewed as I sought an alternative way of protecting my wealth, <clears throat> wealth modest as it was. 
I purchased about $500 worth at a $5,000 price point. And then I paper handed the profits to buy AirPods when the having type or having hype doubled the price a few weeks later. Around the same time, I started a podcast about entrepreneurship, investing in technology. Through interviewing a few Bitcoin thought leaders on my podcast, such as Guy Swan and Taylor Pearson, my enthusiasm and understanding matured and I began to buy more heavily towards the end of 2020. Immediately following my college graduation, I attended the Bitcoin conference in June 2021 in Miami, Florida, and any remaining hesitation to take the orange pill was gone. So, what's the primary life lesson that you learned from your time in Bitcoin? Be mindful of hidden hypocrisy. Coming to understand Bitcoin forces you to confront previously unseen realities about your status quo institutions. People who are new to Bitcoin will levy doubt after doubt about Bitcoin. Who controls it? Can it be hacked? Should I trust it? How do I know it will hold its value? Is it good for the environment? What Bitcoin teaches you is that all of these questions expose similar possible weaknesses of the traditional financial system. It is unclear who truly calls the shots on monetary policy or why they make the decisions that they do. It takes thinking about a new system to realize what hidden assumptions might be lurking in the existing system. Once this veil is pierced, you start to have a better grasp of reality and truth, and it takes a lot more critical thought for trust in a system to be granted. What aspect of Bitcoin, be it part of the technology, the culture of the industry, do you believe best encapsulates what you desire to see in the world? Well, I think Bitcoin is the biggest large-scale success story in recent history of what, I, what can happen when we design systems with properly designed incentives. I think we are already witnessing the consequences of this in real time. Incentives across disparate industries are now being questioned and thoughtfully redesigned to benefit as many stakeholders as possible. DeFi platform, ag or sorry, DeFi platform agnostic is in parentheses, is increasing transparency in the financial world and increasing yields for all participants. Music and art NFTs are deconstructing traditional power structures to allow artists to better capture the upside of their work. There are some, these are simple examples, but I expect to see other industries deconstructed and rebuilt with better incentives, which are only made possible by the innovation of the blockchain. So what are you looking, most looking forward to in the Bitcoin space? Unlocking human capital in two ways. The first is the human rights angle. Bitcoin is allowing millions and hopefully someday billions of people living in unstable countries to accumulate wealth in a likely more secure asset than was available to them previously. I think this will have a massive positive impact on quality of life for millions of people and help them escape various levels of poverty. The second is reducing digital distraction. The rise of the Lightning Network has made near-zero-cost decentralized transactions a very real possibility. I expect these micropayments to become integrated into internet companies and allow them to redesign their user experiences around new incentive structures. Web 2.0 profit was dictated by how long a company could seduce a user into using their platform and how much data they could scrape about them. The consequences was maximally addictive apps and extremely compelling personalized advertisements, and most people are ill-equipped to compete against the supercomputers which have reverse-engineered their psychology. Holy shit. It is my hope that Lightning Network micropayments can reinvent the business models for social media, mobile games, and entertainment platforms like YouTube and TikTok. If users can pay with money instead of time, they'll slowly regain their ability to concentrate on difficult tasks throughout the day without the need for quick surges, surges of dopamine every 20 damn minutes. 
A promising early example of this can be found here, and they reference Sphinx.chat. That's right, Sphinx.chat for all your lightning needs. No, actually not all your lightning needs. Ah, fuck it, let's continue. Price prediction for the end of 2021 and the end of 2030. Well, 2021, we go sideways, likely for a month or two more, but 100,000 within the next six months. 2030, infinity over 21 million. Bitcoin is the global store of value. The value of a single Bitcoin is worth all global value denominated in sats. Let's ballpark 100 trillion over 21 million, which equals four, was that $4,761,904, let's say, or yeah, dollars. Let's say $5 million per coin to keep it clean and assume we have some economic growth. So there you go. There's a little bit of bullishness to start off your day with, and we go right in to China. That's right. China warns state-owned enterprises to cease involvement in Bitcoin mining. It's China FUD. Even after China banned Bitcoin, after China banned Bitcoin mining, after China banned everything to do with Bitcoin, here we are with China still trying to affect the fucking market. And guess what? It looks like it may have very well worked because we got a major dump today. Uh, what are we, I don't even know what we're at. I'm not going to worry about it until numbers. But let's go, bitch, with this one from Arnold Kirimi from Cointelegraph. China is pressuring its state-owned businesses to cease mining cryptocurrencies, and the government is considering harsh penalties on firms that continue, including higher energy expenses. According to reports, Meng Wei, a spokesperson for the National Development and Reform Commission, said at a press conference that as China's top economic planner, the NDRC intends to regulate industrial-scale Bitcoin mining and any involvement by state businesses in the activity. The NDRC, which is in charge of policymaking for mining, has reportedly recently organized a special session on the subject. It has increased the pressure on provinces and municipalities to investigate and clean up mining by state-owned entities. The Chinese government has taken a harsh stance against Bitcoin miners in 2021, blaming them for everything from energy waste to deadly coal mining accidents as the country strives to fulfill its carbon-neutral goals. The increased crackdown on miners in September, according to sources, was prompted by worries over the country's power supplies for the winter season, which is one reason why authorities are said to have gone after those who tried to impersonate data researchers and storage facilities to continue mining the digital asset. As reported by Cointelegraph, China dismissed a former Zhejiang government official for breaching national standards after he was discovered mining digital currencies, according to the Central Commission for Discipline Inspections statement on Monday. According to preliminary findings, Zhao Yi was accused of abusing his power to promote the, and support businesses engaged in digital currency mining activities against government rules as well as taking bribes. The latest Chinese government cryptocurrency crackdown has forced the burgeoning cryptocurrency industry, including Bitcoin and crypto miners and exchanges, to relocate to countries with crypto-friendly regulations. A few of the firms that have left China to find a more accommodating regulator include Huobi, Binance, BTC.com, and Bitmain. So yeah, dude, they, they fired this guy. <laughs> it's like, son of a bitch, man. They completely completely fired this uh, party official, just completely expelled his ass, man. Uh, let's see, he was not only a party member for the CCP, he was also the vice chairman of the Zhejiang Provincial CPP 
consultative conference. So he was actually, seems to me like he was fairly high up there and they fired his ass because he just wasn't banning crypto hard enough, daddy. I don't know, man. These people are just fucking weird. Honestly, they're just out of their minds. So let's see, where were we? Where were we? Um, Hold on for a sec. Yeah, sorry about that. I had to make sure that I had this one in the queue. (coughs) China's Bitcoin ban is the unnoticed geopolitical event of the decade. Okay, this is out of Bitcoin Magazine. Rob Price is writing it, and we're doing it because it's kind of like a a follow-up to what we were just reading about the new China FUD. The political and economic sun has been rising in the East over the past century, with China playing an increasingly important role in global geopolitics. Despite this trend, I have long been skeptical of China's centralized and autocratic governance structure, and 2021 could be a monumental year exposing the frailties of excessive control. If Bitcoin proves to be as important as of a technology as I think it is, then the CCP's decision to ban Bitcoin mining could prove to be the biggest geopolitical faux pas of the next decade. In summary, while decentralized Bitcoin has displayed its resilience to regulation, bans and decreased the probability of a 51% attack, centralized China may have handed a critical technology to the future of the future to its peers. The United States and China has been have been loggerheads in recent years with flashpoints over controlling companies, tariffs and trades, Xinjiang and the Olympics, coronavirus origins, Hong Kong spying, Huawei, Taiwan, South China Sea, TikTok, WeChat, Tibet, and so on and so forth. Hopefully, the world's two largest nations do not end in a hot war, but they will likely remain in a cold war for many years to come as the U.S. withdraws from its position as global hegemon. China rises in the East, and we jostle for a new world order. Despite all this conflict, the geopolitics of Bitcoin mining has fallen under the United States-China radar. Most people do not properly comprehend Bitcoin, let alone politicians and mainstream media outlets, so ignorance of Bitcoin geopolitics is unsurprising. But just like Bitcoin is growing in financial and economic importance, so will its geopolitical significance. There is a fascinating geopolitical shift underway in Bitcoin where power is shifting from the East to the West. China and the United States are both trying to exert control over their populations. The Chinese centralized apparatus is far swifter and more effective than the U.S. Some would argue that there are benefits to the Chinese approach like fighting the COVID-19 pandemic, but there are certainly consequences too. While China is turning away Bitcoin miners, Western entrepreneurs are capitalizing and entrenching this industry in the West. We have established over recent quarters that Bitcoin is a powerful technology with immense potential for the world. The future is uncertain, but a digital decentralized, secure and scarce asset has the potential to be a cornerstone of a new digital financial infrastructure. With each passing cycle, the probability that Bitcoin has a role to play in global financial infrastructure increases and smart individuals, institutions, and funds are securing their exposure to the network. Miners are a critical component of the Bitcoin network. They secure the network and process transactions. At the start of the year, China sat in the kingmaker seat in this industry with approximately 75% of global Bitcoin mining resources. This dominance was potentially a powerful tool for the Chinese economy, yet in Q3 of 2021, China decided to ban Bitcoin mining. Rather than tax, coerce, and confiscate the equipment, miners were allowed to leave China en masse in the third quarter of 2021. 
The reasoning for China's decision is uncertain, but what we do know is that it would be very difficult to execute this type of blanket ban in a moderately free country. Imagine your country wiping out an industry at a whim. The United States is struggling to pass an infrastructure bill. How are they going to pass a ban on an asset they don't even understand? I wrote more about this in Worried About a Ban, then you need Bitcoin more than you think. The Western world is far too swayed by tax revenue, fear of making mistakes, and immediate political pressures to implement a blanket ban on Bitcoin mining. By contrast, China is only able to implement a ban because it is centralized and autocratic. I expect this rash, centralized decision could be the biggest geopolitical faux pas of the next decade, ceding technological power and resources to global peers. Not only do miners secure the network, they convert energy into a digital monetary network which has potentially profound implications for the broader energy industry. I recommend reading Nick Carter's recent article, Bitcoin Mining is Reshaping the Energy Industry, and no one is talking about it for more information. I also covered much of this ground in the ESG solution. So one, miners can utilize energy at times when normal consumers have low demand. Often this energy is wasted because we just don't have cost-effective means of large-scale energy storage nor long-distance transportation. Two, miners can provide a base load for intermittent electricity producers. Renewable energy producers are often the most intermittent, so miners can support renewable investment and ESG goals. Three, miners can make an energy grid more robust because they can also be turned off if energy is required elsewhere. So China just handed over one of the most exciting new industries to the rest of the world. Miners have relocated across the globe and the U.S. has been the biggest beneficiary. Most U.S. politicians probably have no idea what is going on, but some do. I know Ted Cruz is not everyone's cup of tea, but listen to this interview he gave on Bitcoin mining. I think he understands a thing or two about the potential positive impact mining could have on America. So the key implications, prior to the shift, a 51% on the Bitcoin network was already an unlikely event. But with China holding 75% of global hashing power, a nation state coordinated 51% was a possibility. Bitcoin mining is far more decentralized and the likelihood of a 51% attack has reduced enhancing Bitcoin security. Bitcoin displayed resilience to a massive reduction in hash rate processing transactions as normal all the way through the third quarter of 2021. After falling more than 50%, hash rate has recovered to within 10% of its previous peak, further solidifying the resilience of Bitcoin. China's actions highlight the risk of centralized autocratic governance. Western political governance is in an awful state itself, but the more decentralized nature of the political and economic processes with greater respect for property rights is more robust than in a centralized system. Entrepreneurs can capitalize on these opportunities and those entrepreneurial risks benefit society long-term through a more robust energy grid, economic growth, employment opportunities, and much, much more. Certain Western politicians might not like Bitcoin, but it continues to become more entrenched economically, financially, and politically in Western countries. Plus, for each politician who is Bitcoin negative, there is another who is substantially more positive and knowledgeable. China may have handed a strategic global resource of the future to the rest of the globe. Transaction verification of the world's first decentralized value storage and transfer network, plus the ability to convert surplus energy into a monetary network, could revolutionize the energy industry in the years ahead, but China will play no part of that. Perhaps the sun does not rise in the east after all. Conclusions. Bitcoin mining is more decentralized. 
51% attack chances have been reduced. Bitcoin displayed resilience to a massive reduction in hash rate. China's actions highlights the risk of centralized autocratic governance. Western entrepreneurs have capitalized on this and Bitcoin continues to become more entrenched economically. So China fucked up. China fucked up in a very big way. And China is never going to recover from this. But that doesn't mean that China is not going to be a lethal force moving forward for the next decade to maybe three. I don't know. But from reports that I've been hearing and from what other people have been telling me of reports that they've been hearing, things internal in China may be falling apart. So we're just going to have to see. And by the way, if you're cheering for China to fall apart, I don't think, you know, if, we, if I'm going to put me in there too. If we were to cheer for China to fall apart, I don't think we understand quite the implications of what that means. I don't think I want China to completely fall apart, but it looks like there may be some serious internal problems over there, but we don't know because, well, fuck, nobody knows what the hell's going on in China. Why? Well, because China is China and they never say anything. So continuing on, Brian Quarmby has this one out of Cointelegraph. Institutional Bitcoin products tag a record AUM despite the volume pulling back. <laughs> yeah, you think? Institutional traders have locked a record sum of capital into Bitcoin investment products despite trade volume declining during the second half of 2021. According to CoinShares, November 15th, Digital Asset Fund Flows Weekly report, Bitcoin investment products saw total inflows of $97.5 million between November 8th and November 12th, pushing the sector's assets under management, or AUM, up to a record $56 billion. Year-to-date inflows also tagged a $6.5 billion price tag last week. Bitcoin Instruments represents 64.6% uh, of the $150.9 million that flowed into digital asset investment products last week. While the record AUM coincided with BTC establishing a new all-time high of roughly 69000 on November the 10th, the markets have since pulled back by 10% to last trade at the hands of 62100 Despite CoinShares noting that digital asset investment products have seen inflows for 13 consecutive weeks, the sector has posted subdued volumes during the latter half of 2021. According to the report, daily volumes have averaged at $750 million during the second half of of the year, a 22% retracement compared to $960 million during uh, the quarter one of 2021, while Ethereum saw the strongest weekly inflows. I don't give a shit. Cardano, nope, don't give a shit about that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it, they just basically go into a whole bunch of shit coinery at that point, which is to be expected from Cointelegraph. But the, the, the meat and potatoes of this is that we're seeing record inflows into this space all over the place. And Bitcoin is taking the lion's share of that. And I don't really want to hear about fucking Solana and how everybody got rich. Dude, you're playing with fire because next up is Orbcoin. That's right, Orbcoin. From what I understand, they got a $2.8 billion investment to have you give up your identity in ways you don't quite understand for a measly, measly, paltry amount of coin that you cannot actually trade with somebody else unless they too have been cuckolded into giving up everything about their identity that you never wanted to give up. Bitcoin only, people. Bitcoin only. 
And let's see, Israel reportedly adopts new AML rules for crypto. Hill and Parts has it for Cointelegraph as well. Israel has reportedly enacted new regulations related to the cryptocurrency industry in order to combat illegal activities such as, you guessed it, money laundering and terrorism financing. Because that's all we do since we ever became humans. Is just that's 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 our God gave gave Eve the apple and said, go forth and and stupid pill your mate adam over there so that you guys do nothing but finance terrorism uh child pornography traffic children human trafficking uh drug running and you know uh whatever uh, money laundering yeah yeah because that's that's what the tree of knowledge gave us as, as we became human right we ate the apple and all of a sudden i was like i think i'm gonna go finance some terrorism today that's right fuck you i'm sick of it dude the government of Israel enforced new anti-money laundering regulations on Sunday, requiring local fintech companies and virtual currency service providers to obtain an operating license, local news agency Globes reported. The Israeli or Israel Securities Authority, the Capital Markets Insurance and Savings Authority, the country's independent financial regulator, is now reportedly in the process of reviewing various uh, virtual currency service providers that have applied for such a license. Shlomit Wagman, director of the Israel Money Laundering and Terror Finance Prohibition Authority, said that the new AML rules would help the country curb criminal usage of digital assets while also providing the industry with more support and legitimacy, the Jerusalem Post reported. Quote, the application of the regulations constitutes real progress for the Israeli economy, the fintech industry, and for improving financial competition. Oh, bullshit. The Israeli government has been actively working on regulations to combat illicit activities related to crypto this year. In July, Israel's minister or Ministry of Finance proposed a law requiring residents to file tax declarations for crypto purchases above $61,000. Previously, the Israeli defense minister reportedly authorized security forces to seize crypto accounts believed to be tied to the militant wing of Hamas. And in the meantime, Israeli's bank, uh, central bank, has been experimenting with its own digital cryptocurrency. As previously reported, the Bank of Israel issued a central bank digital currency through a pilot test of the digital shekel as of June 2021. For God's sakes. And you know what really freaks me out about all this? Is that Israel and its people as a country, I had always viewed as some of the strongest, most spine-filled people. These are the kind of people that you would have never wanted to get into a war with. These are the kinds of people that have seen so much bullshit in their life that it would be impossible for me to believe that they were this easily manipulated into being soy-drinking cuckolds. I don't know what the hell's and Australia is the same way. Australia was populated with people that were really strong, had lots of backbone, and they just crumbled. And if that's if 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 Israel and Australia can act like this, then I really do fear for well, for the United States. We saw what happened in Canada. You know, I mean, thankfully Latin Latin America is not so bad, but it ain't exactly great. You know, uh, Naib Bukele is doing that whole mask thing down there, and you know, I don't know, I don't know. That's why I feel safe in Texas. And and even then, it's going to be, do I really have to spend the rest of my life fighting these people? 
I just want to go fishing. I want a ranch. I want, I want to learn how to use animals on the land. Do I really want to give what's left of my life over to fight for being able to do something that I can't do because I'm constantly battling this bullshit? Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. We got uh, flammable liquids are mixed. West Texas Intermediate down half a point right now. It was actually up when I was setting up the show about uh, 30 minutes ago. So now it's down half point to $80.40 per barrel. Brent North Sea likewise, but only down a quarter of a point. It's down to $81.89. Natural gas, however, is doing its thing. Five and a half points to the upside to come in at $5.29 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline likewise up a full half point. $2.34 a gallon, so no good news for the people on the West Coast there. Shiny metal rocks uh, are mostly down. Gold is down 0.08% to $1,865. Silver up a tenth of a point to $25.13. Platinum is down three quarters of a point. Copper is down 1.17. And palladium is down scant at 0.05%. Agricultural futures are mixed. Our biggest loser today is going to be wheat, down almost a full point. Our winner is going to be sugar, up almost a half point. And let's see here, indices. Oh, let's see, Dow futures 0.39% to the upside. S&P futures point or a quarter of a point to the upside, as well as NASDAQ futures, <clears throat> which just clocked over to 0.33% to the upside. S&P mini is standing at unchained. Lit, wait unchanged. Let's talk about real money at $60,723. Yep, that's a dip. If you were listening to me yesterday, it was somewhere uh, closer to the 63, 64,000. So yet another dip. Do not fear. We've been here before. 303,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is about 12,600 transactions per hour. But 838,000 BTC have been changing hands over the last 24 hours, which is quite a bit above the, the local normal on volume. <clears throat> 34, that's 34, 35,000 BTC being uh, changed hands every hour on the hour with the average transaction value of 2.77 BTC and the median transaction value 0.013 BTC or just about $782. Block times are still very low, nine minutes and 17 seconds. And with 0 0.08 BTC being taken to fees on a per block basis, that means that over the last 24 hours, we've had about 12.7 BTC taken in fees overall. With a 0.91% increase in hash rate, we are up to 173.85 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin as usual at 24.3 three United States pennies. Screw you, dog. 6,440 transactions are waiting on three blocks to clear. We have a $1.15 trillion market cap, which is nine less than 9.5% of gold's entire market cap. 
and you can get 32.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,874,897.75 of. Now, 3,227.9 of those are locked in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $197 million, being run over 17,605 nodes, 79,000, wow, 79,452 payment channels, and 74.1% of all of that is being run over the Tor Network. Uh, 10,933 nodes that we can see and uh, Clark Moody has a price of $61,020 on Bitcoin. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Senators seek to amend Bitcoin reporting changes in infrastructure bill. Namcios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. U.S. Senators Ron Wyden, chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, and Cynthia Lummis are introducing a bill to amend tax reporting requirements in the infrastructure legislation set to become law on November the 15th, Bloomberg reported which it did. Okay. He signed that shit like either this morning or yesterday evening or something like that. But let's, let's see what Senator Lummis and, and Wyden had in mind. Quote, the new bill, the text of which was obtained by Bloomberg News, seeks to override a provision in the infrastructure legislation that cryptocurrency investors say is overly broad and would stifle growth of digital currencies, per the report. In September, a tax change introduced in the infrastructure bill would require United States persons receiving over $10,000 in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to report the sender's personal information to the Internal Revenue Service, extending the provisions of Section 6050I that currently apply only to cash transactions. Quote, our bill makes clear that the new reporting requirements do not apply to individuals developing blockchain technology or wallets, Wyden said in a statement per the report. This will protect American innovation while at the same time ensuring those who buy and sell cryptocurrency pay the taxes that they already owe. You bitch. The new bill seeks to restrict the interpretation of the entities these requirements would apply to and protect innovators such as miners and developers in the United States. Quote, it's not yet clear when the crypto reporting bill would come up for a vote or if it could be included in other year-end legislative packages in the coming weeks. The bill includes a provision that would make it retroactive to the infrastructure bill signing per the report. Jesus, you know what? I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm just not. Of course, then again, I don't really have to worry about somebody just dumping $10,000 on me. <laughs> uh, but I'm not going to report. I'm not going to ask you. And I can't, this is what's great. You stream me sats. I can't ask you because I don't know where the sats came from. So I don't know if it came from you. Right. And if I, even if I did, I'm not going to DM you on Twitter and say, Hey bro, I need your social security number. Cause I'm going to report this to the IRS. No, 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 no. Now, if it gets to a point where somebody's streaming me so many sats that it's like actually $10,000, then I've got a, I've got a, a crisis of conscience that only I will be able to determine at that time. But I guarantee you what it's not going to include is asking you for your social security number. Fuck these people. Bitcoin mining raises power grid fears in Texas. Oh, fear. And guess who it is? Okay, so we're talking about power fear. Oh my God, the power grid. Oh my God, Bitcoin energy usage. This is out of decrypt and it can only be Scott Cipollina, who basically cries about this in every single piece that he writes. Good 
Jeez, the United States overtook China as the world's leading Bitcoin mining powerhouse earlier this year. Texas, in turn, became one of the most crypto-friendly states in the United States. But as more and more miners come to Texas, the state is facing a mining controversy. They are energy hogs, Michael Machet Foss, a fellow at the Center of Energy Studies, told KHOU11, a local news outlet in Houston, quote, I don't think that in Texas we've actually done a bad job in terms of anticipating growth. I think where we've missed it is in the understanding or is in understanding the sensitivity of the system to breakdowns. Well, that sounds like we've just uncovered a serious fragility in the Texas grid system. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, we should address that. Just ballparking it there. Anyway, the news follows a period of significant crypto mining growth in Texas, which in turn has been accompanied by pro-crypto comments from Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican from Texas, as China began walking back its mining industry as part of its wider crackdown to the Indo crypto industry. Texas was busy taking its own slice of the pie. In March of this year, Argo Blockchain completed the acquisition of 320 acres of Texan land to launch Bitcoin mining operations. In April, Riot Blockchain bought another massive Bitcoin mining site in Texas for $650 million. One month later, Chinese mining firm Bit Mining Limited announced an investment into a crypto mining data center in Texas of $25 million. Senator Cruz said that Bitcoin could make use of the state's abundant energy sources, adding fuel to the mining immigration. 50% of the natural gas in this country that is flared is being flared in the Permian Basin right now, and that's in West Texas. I think that is an enormous opportunity for Bitcoin because that's energy that's just going to waste, Senator Cruz said. Despite Cruz's comments, it is now well understood that mining Bitcoin with non-renewable energy sources like natural gas is harmful to the environment. Scott, change your diapers and start, stop drinking the soylent. I'm serious, dude. You, you've got to break out of this mindset. This is not true. What Scott Cipollina just said right there is not true. It's been proven time and time again that it's not true. It's all bullshit and Bitcoin actually helps the in energy industry become cleaner and greener and meaner. It does not pollute. It does not pollute. It does not pollute. So Scott, take your ESG, mix it with your soilet and shove it straight up your ass. I'm just sick of listening to you bitch and complain all goddamn day. According to Cambridge University, 60, or according to Cambridge University, 61% of the Bitcoin mining network is powered by non-renewables, which is bullshit, or carbon-intensive energy sources like natural gas. By current figures, that would mean that Bitcoin mining emits the same amount of greenhouse gases as over 59 billion pounds of burned coal. Somebody reach out to Scott and see if he needs to have his hand held or something. It is, I'm, I shit you not, every single Scott Cipollina article that I have read in the last six months minimum, minimum, has been a bitch and moan fest. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. So somebody reach out to Scott, make sure he's okay. So Bitcoin bargain. Well, the third biggest whale address added 207 BTC at $62,000 price point. William Suber's got it for Cointelegraph. Whales are back in the game near 60K as data shows classic bull market behavior. According to on-chain monitoring resources on November the 16th, which is today, 
the third largest Bitcoin whale address increased its holdings by 207 BTC. Despite falling 8% over the past 24 hours, Bitcoin remains a solid buy for its biggest investors. For one address, now the third largest with a balance of 100, wait, hold on for a sec. Yeah, 193,433.5 BTC, it added the equivalent of $12.84 million to its balance at a price of 62053 per Bitcoin. As of now, this address has increased its holding by 635 BTC in November alone, journalist Colin Wu noted in comments on the event. Such whale behavior is in fact common during bull runs, as evidenced by blockchain data covering previous cycle peaks. Quote, in my opinion, whales and big players usually hedge their Bitcoin by transferring to derivatives exchanges and taking short positions when they buy a huge amount of BTC on price bottoms, one contributor to fellow on-chain analytics firm CryptoQuant explained on Tuesday. Quote, this pattern is obvious during the last bull run of 2017 when the all exchanges to derivative exchanges indicator peaked many times and the price experienced a jump after each time. And right now during the bull run, the metric has peaked four times indicating whales are buying and hedging their coins continuously in quote. This, the post summarized, is a long-term bullish sign for price action. As Cointelegraph reported, long-term hodlers have begun net reducing their BTC holdings as of this month. In what is known as distribution, the phenomenon has historically accompanied the most voracious phase of bullish price action as witnessed beginning November last year. Heavy buyer volume at $62,000, meanwhile, was not enough to prevent a retest of lower levels on Tuesday, contrary to expectations from WhaleMap, a dedicated tool for monitoring whale activity. So there you go. It's actually slightly bullish. You know, we don't have to, you know, cry all goddamn day, but we'll, we'll go ahead and continue with this. <clears throat> Coindesk, Eliza Gukritsky, Gukritsky, Kritsy, I don't know, man. It's part of my shtick. I always mispronounce names. Anyway, Coindesk, Twitter CFO says buying crypto assets doesn't make sense right now. Okay, well, you're, you're great. Investing in cryptocurrencies doesn't make sense right now, Twitter CFO Ned Segal said, according to the Wall Street Journal. Twitter would have to change its investment policy to hold more volatile assets on its balance sheet, he said. The company prefers to hold less volatile assets, such as securities. Oh, he's so safe. Fintech firm Square, which is also headed and, headed and co-founded by Twitter's Jack Dorsey, Musk's Tesla, and software firm MicroStrategy hold crypto on their balance sheets. Dorsey is a supporter of decentralized technology, including Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Twitter wants to let users connect their accounts to third-party services that allow them to send tips in Bitcoin, bring authentication for non-fungible tokens on its platform, and has started a crypto team. So apparently, Ned Segal, and this is honestly, this is kind of a signal for all you guys that wonder why Jack lets people get deplatformed from Twitter, is because Jack doesn't have any control of Twitter. This is pretty pretty freaking evident right here with CFO basically going right up against what Jack thinks. And But Jack does have control of Square, right? We know he has control of Square because he doesn't really have to listen to anybody. And what Square's doing is amazing. And I think the only reason that Jack was able to get Twitter to install the tipping, button, uh, tipping function on Twitter is because it was going to happen inevitably. It had already happened three different times with third-party apps and his... If it had been me up there looking at the board of directors and the rest of the C-suite, I would have been arguing in the following fashion. Somebody's going to do it. 
it might as well be us because it's already happened three times in the past and we had no control over any of that bullshit. Now, if you want to sit there and tell me how this is a bad idea, then you can go ahead and have fun staying poor. Meanwhile, I'm kicking ass with Square and if you would like to join me one day in the future and we can all party together, you're more than welcome. Otherwise, have fun staying fucking poor. There we go. That felt good. Now, Anthony Scaramucci, back in the Bitcoin news. I'm not, I'm no longer a fan of Scaramucci, by the way, um, but he is in the space. He does have weight. He is walking around and he's reaching for things and he's causing shit to happen. We probably, it would probably behoove us to make sure that we know what the mooch is actually doing. Anyway, this is out of Bitcoinist, written by Best Owie. Great name, Best Owie. The, I got the best alley. It hurt. Whatever. Skybridge Capital's Anthony Scaramucci is once again making waves in the Bitcoin market, this time with a predicted value of Bitcoin, which he put at one of the highest ever seen in the space. For the mooch, investing in Bitcoin has been a no-brainer, taking both a personal and a corporate stake in the digital asset. However, now the CEO is talking to investors across the globe. Scaramucci has urged investors to purchase Bitcoin despite its current price, which is deemed to be on the high side. He explains that Bitcoin is barely at its peak, thus making this a perfect time for investors to get into the digital asset. The Mooch explained that getting into Bitcoin is a need, opining that even investors who buy at the current prices are still very early, stating, quote, I still believe that we are very, very early, end quote. This sentiment is shared widely in the Bitcoin community as the majority of the analysts have put the value of the asset at $100,000 before year end. Going off ARK Invest Kathy Wood's prediction for the asset that it would be over a billion, there would be over a billion wallets by the middle of 2025, the CEO put BTC at $500,000 a coin. Quote, these coins will easily trade at half a million a coin. Remember, you don't even have enough Bitcoin for every millionaire in our society to have one coin, end quote. That's good advice, Mooch. This same prediction has been given by Kathy Wood, who has reiterated her stance on the matter multiple times throughout the year. The CEO, notorious for making risky bets in the investment space, expects that this price point would be reached within the next five years. Um, <clears throat> Scaramucci also pointed to the scarcity of Bitcoin. The asset will only ever have 21 million coins, no matter where the price ends up. And the CEO explained that you don't even have enough for each millionaire. So for me, I think this is a very scarce property, end quote. If you ask different Bitcoin maximalists this question, they would probably give you different but related answers. What will drive BTC price? However, it all boils down to adoption. Scaramucci put the price of BTC at 500 grand when it reaches a billion wallets that are predicted to happen by 2025. Kathy Wood shares the same sentiment, but adds that institutional investors diversifying their portfolios will also play a major role in driving up the price of the asset. Others, like Nigel Green, the founder and CEO of DeVere Group, says that inflation will be the biggest driver of the growth of BTC. This is because investors will need a way to protect their assets from being eaten by inflation, and Bitcoin is the perfect candidate for that. Last but not least, market analysis will tell you that movement trends are indicative of a big blowout in the coming years. One thing that remains constant 
is that they all see the price of Bitcoin doing incredibly well in the future, echoing the Mooch's message of buy Bitcoin now, bitches. <sighs> oh, that felt good. That felt good. That was a good one. That was a good one. That was the, that's actually the last one for uh, the morning roundup. So we will end the morning roundup right there. Well, shit, I was going to do a joke for you, but I've got another joke for you. Michael Burry nukes his portfolio, exits all bearish positions. Okay, Michael Burry. Who's Michael Burry? If you don't know who Michael Burry is, then that means that you have not watched the movie The Big Short or read the book. I highly recommend the movie, though. The movie is really, really solid. Great acting. It's got great screenplay. It's it's a It's well done. But Michael Burry was one of the very earliest people in the world that called the 2008 uh, financial crisis before it actually occurred because he was the only one that was actually looking inside of all these credit, you know, uh, the, these, these uh, not default swaps, that's the insurance, uh, CDOs, a credit default obligation, or no, 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 not even those. It was basically the mortgage packages that were being packaged and repackaged and repackaged to all these investors. And nobody was looking at who was actually paying the mortgages inside these mortgage packages. And Michael being the autist that he is, cause he is autistic. He was actually, that's the kind of person that you want to go through reams and reams of data. And he's looking at who's making payments. And he's like starting to realize that all these people are about to default on their homes. And he's like, fuck this. So he goes over to the big investment banks and he has them structure an insurance package or like some, some instruments that he can short the housing market, which nobody had ever done before. He's like Noah telling people that God is going to flood the earth and he's literally putting work into building an ark and people are sitting there pointing at him and laughing and guess what happened? If you read the Bible, you probably know what happened. Everybody that wasn't on that boat got dead. And that's, look, it, whether you believe totally in the Bible or not, that's fine. I'm just saying, if you're not on the boat, you're going to get left behind or worse. This is Zero Hedge. And uh, let's see, uh, up till now, the big short Michael Burry was best known for periodically and inexplicably nuking his Twitter account, then promptly restoring it a few days later. We can now add his investment portfolio to the list of things the famous subprime shorter tends to nuke every now and then. As a reminder, two quarters ago, Burry's 13F caused a stir across trading desk when the big short revealed a major Tesla put which with nominal value of $534 million and representing just over 800,000 underlying shares was Burry's largest position in the first quarter. Also notable was Burry's aggressive positioning for a surge in inflation. Uh, as a reminder, it was Burry back in February that warned that Weimar type hyperinflation is coming, which as of March 31st, he traded as follows. A put on TLT 20 plus year TSY bond ETF equivalent to some 1.26 million shares or $17 million. A call on the TBT 20 plus year treasury ultra short ETF equivalent to 2.536 million shares or $55, $55 million. A call on TTT 
20-plus year Treasury Ultra Short ETF equivalent to $4.6 million, a call on the 3X leveraged TMV 20-year Treasury Bear ETF equivalent to $3.1 million, an outright long in the TBT 20-year Treasury Ultra Short amounting to $6.5 million. Another notable and perhaps uncharacteristic position was Burry's substantial bullish bet on Fang, Giants, Alphabet, and Facebook, where Scion, sorry, Scion owner, or owned a little over 160 million in call premium, or an equivalent of 80,000 shares of Google and 550,000 shares of Facebook. Fast forwarding three months, we found another big surprise in CN or Scion Asset Management's second quarter 13F, a big bearish bet against one of Wall Street's biggest bubble chasers, Kathy Wood. As we reported at the time, as of June 30th, Scion owned puts contracts against 235,000 shares of the ARK Innovation ETF. As everyone knows by now, the flagship exchange traded fund of Kathy Wood and her firm ARK Investment Management has emerged as the U.S. version of SoftBank, investing billions into anything with a story, catching every falling tech knife it can find and betting for virtual, per, uh, virtually perpetual growth and countless growth in momentum stocks with zero regard for rising inflation. Jesus. While Woods, Woods Arc trounced the market in 2020, thanks to her heavy thematic investments in tech stocks, Wood and Arc have struggled to maintain their momentum this year amid concerns about lofty valuations and accelerating inflation. But just as importantly, despite Burry's aggressive short against Arc, the stock has gone nowhere in the past three or sorry, six months trading in a narrow range between $110 and $130, leading to put holders' death by a 1,000 theta cuts as the, as the stock refused to drop. Besides ARK and Tesla, Burry added to many of his positions from last quarter, bumping his Facebook call position by 71% while adding modestly to his alphabet calls. There was sizable rotation elsewhere, with the fund opening new call positions in McKesson, Walmart, Cardinal Health, as well as new stock positions in energy producer Ovitiv, while liquidating his positions in Occidental Precision Drilling. Uh, God dang, Burry also added to correctional facilities provider GEO Group while liquidating his modest stake in Lumen, Genco Shipping, RPT Realty, Now Incorporated, NetApp, Meredith, and others. Altogether, Burry's portfolio had a nominal view of just over, or a nominal value of just over $2 billion as of June the 30th, but as usual, most of this is in the form of call and put value equivalents. The actual value at risk for Burry in these names is far lower. So with a lengthy preamble out of the way, we go to Scion's just released 13F for the third quarter ended September the 30th, which was notable mostly for being almost empty. As shown in the table below, after aggressively building out its portfolio in the last few quarters, including billions of notional, <laughs> including billions notional across calls and puts, Burry appeared to have nuked his portfolio in the third quarter when out of 22 total positions, including options at the end of Q2, the former doctor had just six holdings and they were all long stocks. Woo! Indeed, after unwinding his largest shorts, uh, including his sizable Tesla, his large ARK ETF put, and his big TLT put, as well as his bullish calls on Facebook and Alphabet, Burry had a paltry sieve long in his 13F, CVS Health, Geo Group, 
Corviac, uh, which which were holders holdovers from Q2, as well as three new positions in Lockheed Market, uh, Martin, Now, and Synexus. We don't know whether any of these positions Scion closed out were profitable. We did already know that Burry closed his Tesla put last month, as he told CNBC, noting that the position was just a trade. Ironically, it wasn't until just the past week that Tesla stocks finally slumped, entering a bear market, but it was too late to help Burry, who had already closed his positions by then. And since it is unlikely that any of the above bearish bets proved to be extremely lucrative, we can safely say that Burry's hunt for the next big short continues so far unsuccessfully. And if the recent catastrophic experience from Russell Clark is any indication, as a reminder, the former CIO of Horseman Global just announced that he would shutter his bearish hedge fund after being redeemed out of the industry, Burry should probably be careful that he doesn't follow in Clark's footsteps. You know, all this signals to me is that that this general bull market, this general money printing, this general people that are terrified of inflation seeking alpha is nowhere close to over. It's nowhere close to over. And yet we're seeing valuations in stocks, real estate, anything you can possibly imagine. These are, people are starting to invest in weird fucking shit at this point. You know, I mean, art has always been kind of the weirdest thing to invest in, but over the centuries, it's proven to be fairly lucrative to most people. They are sitting on so much cash because they are getting so much cash because we are printing so much cash and it's not just the United States, it's everywhere. And all these people that are sitting next to the money printer are going, I don't know what to do with all this cash. So they're shoving it into anything that they can find their hands on. And it looks to me like Michael Burry just said, this is not going to end anytime soon. He probably thought that it was. We all think that it is, that you just can't continue this way, but always remember the old adage. The markets can stay irrational a hell of a lot longer than you can stay liquid or wealthy or alive. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon.